Philemon, verses 1 through 16. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Tori. And thank you all for joining us today online from your homes and here in our sanctuary. It is so great to have you with us. It has been eight months now since the church world changed dramatically along with other parts of our world and we went to our live stream service on Sunday mornings. And it's fitting today that we have a few uh, students here in our sanctuary doing a special video project from High Point University because when we first began to live stream our service in March, uh, one of our students, uh, Nicholas Massieris, who's a student at High Point, uh, went to the Department of Communications there and they loaned us some very high quality uh, video equipment, uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. It didn't charge us anything. We were able to use that for a couple of months. And then when we returned that, our friends from SES, Special Event Services based in Moxville, uh, provided us some outstanding uh, camera equipment that we've been using ever since. And we are so very grateful for these uh, generous folks at SES who have helped us all along. We're returning that equipment this week and getting our own cameras. And our goal is that there would be no loss of quality in our online service. We are able to buy this equipment because of your faithful giving. And I just want to say thank you this morning for your continued giving in this very unusual and trying year for many uh, as a result, we're able to make the investment in equipment that we need, and we're continuing to strive to, to provide the best online and in-person experience as we can in this unusual year. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 
I'd like to take a few minutes to pray this morning uh, before we get into the message, certainly to pray for our nation, for those affected by the coronavirus, and also for the daughter of one of our elders and leaders. Many of you know the Hemphills, Megan, a leader and moms, and Lee, one of our elders, uh, their little girl, Emma, uh, had some complications with surgery on her spine Friday. And we're praying today for her to be able to move her legs and for the Lord to touch her. Would you join me as we pray now? Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you've said that we're to come with confidence before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace of help in time of need. We lift up young Emma Hemphill today. Father, we, your people, pray that you would send your healing virtue into her body and enable her to move her toes and legs and begin your healing restoration in her. Father, we pray for others in our church who are suffering terribly with a variety of illnesses at this time, and we look to you as the great physician, our healer, the one who has said, pray one for another that you may be healed. Father, we also pray for our nation. We pray for peace in our nation, for your hand to uh, guide in all of the details of this coming week. And Father, that we could indeed become one nation under you, a nation of people who looks to you and who trusts in you. Would you pour out your spirit upon us so that Many would come to know Jesus is the way and the truth and the life in this unusual year. Lord, I also want to pray for those here in our sanctuary or watching us online today who are feeling the effects of the isolation and the loneliness. Would you bring encouragement, renewal of hope, rekindle faith in their hearts, Lord, and remind them of your great nearness and your great love. And now as we look into your word, we pray the prayer of Psalm 119, verse 18. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been joining us throughout the year, we've called our series One Story. We've been looking at the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and seeing the unified theme of God's plan of redemption for His people from beginning to end. We're very near the end of the New Testament now, and we've come to the little New Testament letter known as the book of Philemon. Very short, one chapter, only 25 verses. And frankly, as I was thinking about this little book this week... I found myself asking the question, why has God chosen to include this short letter in his inspired word for all time? The book of Philemon doesn't really present new doctrinal teaching like the book of Romans or the book of Galatians. It doesn't teach us about church order like the book of 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy. So why is this little letter, very personal letter from the Apostle Paul, to a friend named Philemon, why is it even in the Bible? Why has God chosen that? How does it fit into the one-story plan? The book of Philemon teaches us how to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ by walking in love toward others and forgiving others when we are wronged. 
I think to understand this short book, it, it's first important to understand the key people, the key characters or individuals here. First, the Apostle Paul, who wrote many of our New Testament letters. He refers to himself twice in the short book of Philemon, both in verses 1 and verse 9, as a prisoner for the Lord Jesus. He writes in verse 9, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison. The book of Philemon is one of four letters, four New Testament books written by the Apostle Paul when he was in a Roman prison. Think about that for a moment. What if you were put in prison for your faith? What if you were imprisoned for following Jesus Christ? Well, we'd, be up, we'd all be crying out that it was unjust, and we'd be signing petitions trying to get you out, and there'd be nothing wrong with that. But think about this for a moment. The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, is writing letters that have become the eternal and holy Word of God. Not only that, but he has begun a prison ministry. He's evangelizing. And one of the people he leads to faith in Jesus is Onesimus, who we'll learn more about in just a moment. God is using Paul in circumstances that are far less than ideal, and maybe there's a lesson for us than that when we find ourselves in situations in life that we don't like, that there may be a ministry for us there. Second key character is Philemon, or Philemon as some people pronounce it. I think the meaning of the name Philemon is affectionate. Paul writes to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow worker, in the church in your house. Some commentators suggest that Aphia may have been his wife and Archippus, Philemon's son. But regardless, the church at Colossae met in Philemon's home. And Philemon was known for his generosity to the Lord and to his people. We read about this in verse 4 when Paul writes, I thank my God because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. And for all the saints, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon was a person who was really known for his generosity toward the Lord and his people. And then the third key character is Onesimus. Paul writes, in verses 10 and 11, I appeal to you, he's right to Philemon now, for my child Onesimus. Now the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useful. And as Paul writes to Philemon, he's kind of making a, a play on words, a play on that name when he writes, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, the meaning of Onesimus' name, to you and to me. So Onesimus met Paul in prison. We don't know precisely why he was imprisoned. It happens that he had been a slave or a bondservant of Philemon's, and he had run away, happened to meet Paul in prison. Um, perhaps he had done some other crime, and he was put into prison. But regardless, he met Paul. And in prison, Paul led him to faith in Jesus. So Paul refers to him as my child. He's not his literal child. He's his spiritual child, his spiritual son. As Paul has led him to faith, is teaching him the faith, is discipling him here in prison. And Paul 
says not only that, but he's useful to me. He's helping me. And now Paul's writing back to Philemon because Onesimus had been his bondservant or his slave, as we learn elsewhere in this chapter. And Paul is going to send him back to reconcile. It appears that Onesimus had also stolen from Philemon because Paul writes elsewhere in the letter, I'll repay back anything he owes you. Charge it to my account. And so Paul's going to send Onesimus back, but he's, he's not only sending Onesimus back to reconcile with Philemon, Paul is going to ask Philemon to do far more than just to reconcile. And we'll learn about that in just a moment. So what exactly had Onesimus done? We read in verses 15 and 16, Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant. The word bondservant could also be translated slave. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, <coughs> especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In verses 18 and 19, we, we read that Paul writes, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So apparently, not only had Onesimus run away, but he had stolen from Philemon. Now, the question arises in the book of Philemon, why doesn't Paul just condemn the institution of slavery outright in this letter? Perhaps it's helpful to know a little bit about slavery in the Roman world, not to justify it whatsoever, but just to understand the context here. It's estimated by commentators that as many as one-third of the people in Colossae in Paul's time were slaves. Some were slaves because they'd been captured in war. Some were slaves because they had voluntarily sold themselves into slavery to repay debts. That was sometimes done. Slavery was not racially based. There were people from all ethnic groups. Now, while Paul does not condemn slavery outright in this particular passage, one commentator writes that he, quote, puts in place the great spiritual principle that would eventually bring slavery down. That is, master and slave were spiritually equal because they belonged to Christ. This writer goes on to say that the New Testament in this uh, particular book and elsewhere subverts and undermines slavery by calling for a change of hearts in both masters and slaves. And I think uh, this writer is probably thinking about a, a passage in the book of Galatians, for example, that reads, the apostle Paul wrote, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female for you are all one in Christ, and if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down every type of caste and category that humans might attempt to put on others. As a little aside, I do believe the New Testament condemns slavery outright in another passage, and that's in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. But for the moment, Onesimus was a runaway slave, and what was Paul asking Philemon to do here? Paul is asking him, I believe, to set him free. We read in verse 17, Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required... Paul says, I could tell you what to do, Philemon. 
Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In other words, I led him to faith here in prison. So if you consider me your partner, he says to Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. Wow. He's saying, treat Onesimus now the same way you would treat me. Now, what Paul was asking Philemon to do, and I believe he was asking him to set him free and to forgive him his debts because he says, uh, receive him no longer as a bondservant, but a beloved brother. But think about this: what this might have meant for Philemon. Paul is asking, I think, that he would forgive and release Onesimus and that he would let him come back and continue to serve Paul because he notes he's been very helpful to me in my ministry. But we should know, as one commentator writes, that in Philemon's culture, forgiving Onesimus would be a sign of weakness. His neighbors would be horrified. They would see such leniency as a green light to other slaves to follow Onesimus' example. The pressure from his culture to bring the full rigor of Roman law down upon Onesimus would have been huge. In Roman law, a runaway slave was often put to death, and often by crucifixion. In fact, crucifixion in Paul's day became known as the slave's punishment because it was seen as such an effective deterrent keep slaves from running away. And yet Philemon is being asked to set him free. What was Paul offering to do? Paul was offering to take care of anything Philemon, uh, Onesimus owed to Philemon. Paul writes, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And notice now, I love what Paul does. He's offering to repay his debts. But then Paul, the great apostle, puts some not-so-subtle pressure on his dear friend Philemon. Notice what he says. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul also had led Philemon to the Lord. That's why he says, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Now, Paul's using his apostolic authority to put a little pressure on his friend Philemon here. And we might wonder, what happened? What happened? Did he let him go? Well, we read this in verse 21. Not only does Paul put the subtle pressure on him, uh, but he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience. That's what we... uh, those in the sales profession, as I used to be, might call the assumptive close. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. And then Paul goes on to say, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. In other words, I'm confident you'll obey. And by the way, prepare me a room because I'm coming to see you. Paul's putting a little bit of loving pressure on his friend. So what did happen? Did Philemon release Onesimus, let him serve Paul, work with Paul, release him of all of his debts? We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
commentators suggest that certainly that must have happened. Otherwise, this letter probably wouldn't be included in Scripture. And you know, an interesting thing from the history of the early church, there was an early church leader just after the New Testament period named Ignatius. And in one of his letters that survives, he refers to a man named Onesimus, the bishop of the church at Ephesus. Now, was this the same Onesimus? We don't know for sure. It's a pretty common name. But when you consider that this was a man who was mentored by the apostle Paul himself and associated with Paul and Timothy, perhaps he was. So, what do we learn from this book? What do we learn that can be applied to our lives? You know, when you study Scripture, it's always good to ask, what is the timeless principle that's transferable from this little letter to our lives today? What do we learn from the book of Philemon? Three things I think that are particularly important we should take away from this book. Number one, our generosity toward the Lord and His people can lead to our own spiritual growth. Verse 6 of this little book is, I think, the most challenging verse to interpret and understand. We read these words, and the context is this. Paul has been expressing his gratitude for the great love and faith that Philemon has shown toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints He's rejoicing, as he says, that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. And he says to Philemon, I pray that the sharing of your faith, these good works you've done for the Lord and his people, the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does the sharing of your faith mean? I don't think Paul's talking about evangelism here. You're witnessing, you're sharing your faith with others as we use that phrase. It's a challenging verse to interpret and understand. So on the screen, you're going to see a, a Greek, a, a New Testament rendering from the exegetical guide to the Greek New Testament. And here is how this particular verse is rendered. I pray that the generosity that your faith prompts may effectively increase your knowledge of every blessing we have in our relation to Christ. In, our, in other words, this sharing of your faith for the saints, this generosity toward the Lord and His people, the way you pour out yourself and your life to bless the Lord and His people in the church that meets in your own house. I'm praying that this generosity will result in your own increased knowledge of every blessing we have in our relation to Christ. You know, Paul prayed this way for Christians elsewhere. He prayed the Lord would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the, sa in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us as believers. In other words, that our eyes would be open to know and understand the spiritual riches that Christ has placed within us as believers. That we would more fully understand what it means to be in Christ and have Christ in us because we Christians tend to live 
far below that knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. And Paul is praying, as you express your faith in such generous ways, I pray it will result in your own growth and knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. The principle I think we can take away is that our generosity toward the Lord and His people can result in our own spiritual growth. Number two, principle to take away from this book has to do with love. The person who has received God's love, as Philemon had as a believer, is also called to show love to other people. Love is a theme of the little book of Philemon. We read it throughout the book. I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, for love's sake I rather appeal to you. We Christians, those who have received God's love and gracious forgiveness through the gospel, are called to show his love to the world. Love is the identifying mark, the defining mark of a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this, all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's your identifying mark, your defining mark as a believer. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 13 and verse 8, the one who loves has fulfilled the law. In the book of James, James the Apostle writes in chapter 2 and verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. The royal law for a believer is the love law, the law Jesus gave, the new commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it even extends to enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. The Apostle John said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love is the identifying mark of a believer. Would that the world around us those who don't know Jesus, when they thought of the Christian church, the first thing that came to mind was the greatness of their love, the greatness of their love for one another. And friends, we all know we live in a very divided nation right now. I uh, have a a friend in our church who's a counselor, and he told me that this political season has resulted in such division that there were families not speaking to one another because of their political differences. Now, an unbeliever may behave like that, but a follower of Jesus Christ cannot. We are commanded to love so often in Scripture precisely because it does not come naturally. It comes from being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and obedient to God's Word, the love commands of Scripture. And as the book of Philemon shows us, those who've received the love of God, as Philemon had, now are called to go out in the world and live it out, show it to other people person who's received God's love must show God's love. And then finally, 
the person who's received God's forgiveness should show forgiveness to others. Paul is calling Philemon to completely forgive Onesimus. In fact, he says, if you consider me your partner, Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. How would he have received Paul? Well, Paul was the one who'd, who'd, who'd led him to faith. Paul says, you, you owe me even your own self. If he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul wanted him to forgive him and accept him as a beloved brother in Christ. This could certainly be costly to Philemon. Certainly could harm his reputation with his neighbors. His neighbors might well consider him weak for doing that. But forgiving someone who has wronged you in the eyes of God is not weak. It is a mark of great, great spiritual strength. Because the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. It's God extending forgiveness to us for our many sins. Because Jesus Christ on the cross takes our sin debt upon himself that we might partake of his righteousness. The gospel is all about God forgiving us, and we who have had our huge sin debt removed or call in all cases in life to forgive any who sin against us their infinitesimally smaller debts against us by comparison. Now, we all know, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, that throughout life we will face tests, tests of love and forgiveness. And we're called to love, and we're called to forgive. So as we close today, I just want to raise this question. Is my love and my faith toward the Lord and toward his people being shown by my actions? Does your family see the difference that the gospel is made in your life? Do your neighbors see the difference? Do your coworkers? Does it show you to be the love in your soul? Does it show you to be a disciple of Jesus? And number two, is there a love or forgiveness test in my life? Maybe it's a coworker who just annoys you all the time and you think, Lord, how could, how could I just be released from having this person in my life? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a family member, a neighbor. Sometimes I think when we have someone like that in our, in our lives, we should view it as a, a prayer prompt. When the annoyance comes, when the resentment comes, use it as an opportunity, a reminder to pray for that person, to pray for that person to come to know Jesus, pray for that person to come to faith. I'd like to take a moment now and just pray for us as a church that we would become those people who can show God's love to the world so that the world will know that we are the followers of Jesus. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we come now in the name of the one who knew no sin but gave his life on behalf of our sin that we may be forgiven and know you. Lord, I pray for any watching online or in our sanctuary who has never put his or her faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Would you bring that person to the true saving knowledge of Jesus is the way and the truth and the life this day.
Father, would you bring your healing grace into marriages today so that where, is there, that where there is resentment and the need to forgive, your grace would be present to forgive. Where there is a need to show unconditional love, your power would be present to show the love of Christ. Father, would you so fill us with the Holy Spirit that we would show your love to the people around us, to our families, to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and our world. Would you enable us to forgive even as we have been forgiven? And now if you know it, I invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.